0: i love to come here. Uh, you guys remind me of our little humble fellowship in Milan, Italy, which, by the way, they're meeting right now. Um, something you can think about, when you guys meet here at 1030 uh, on Sunday morning, it's 530 in Milan, 530 p.m. in Milan, so you can just pray for them because we'll be meeting at the same time you meet. Just a minute, excuse me. I've got a little bit of a cold, so you may need to bear with me if I... I struggle a little bit with my voice. I about oversing my voice with the music. I love the music. We sing many of those songs in Milan. And I love that line. Wonder, all struck wonder. Yes? Is that it? Isn't that your Christianity? Wonder. All struck wonder. That's Jesus Christ. It's our God. If you've met him, you understand that. For a billion eternities we will be in awe of his wonder we will worship Him. I just want to pray real quick and ask the Lord for His help, so please join me. Beautiful, awesome God, we do praise You. There is no God like Thee. No God loves like You love. No God redeems like You redeem. And we are full of wonder, awestruck. Holy Spirit, come and teach. Open up Your Word for us and teach. Change us, encourage us, embolden us. Grow us, stretch us, convict us. Have Your way with us, great God, we pray. In the beautiful name of Jesus, Amen. Until about noon yesterday, I was going to be preaching uh, Numbers 13 and 14 to you. Uh, It's a tradition at the International Church of Milan. My first sermon every year, every new year, is Kadesh Barnea. And I'm sure it doesn't escape you why that would be an obvious choice. It's biblical shorthand for the tragic consequences of shrinking back from the clear call of God. So I always exhort my, my church, don't shrink back in the new year. Go with God. Radically go with God. Do not shrink back. You can see the, 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 the eternal costs. Not only temporal costs, but eternal costs of shrinking back as those two million Jews did at Kadesh Barnea. This is, in my view, the, the perfect sermon. Kadesh Barnea is the perfect sermon for the first Sunday of each year. It's a, it's a hard look at, at uh, unrisky the cost of unrisky disobedience. Unrisky disobedience is a costly thing. It's a costly thing. And I always exhort my people to engage in glad, reckless, joy, obedience. So that would have been a perfect sermon for you. Uh, It would have been a perfect sermon for me to preach. I've preached it many times. I I know it like the back of my hand. I don't need any notes for it. But God pushed me off Numbers 13 and 14 yesterday. And... uh, He took me to a different text. He took me to a different text. Let me just share with you one of the great things that you can learn. I'm going to just say to you, I'm not going to preach it, but if you haven't read it in a long time, go read it. Go read Kadesh Barnea. Go read how God sees Kadesh Barnea, how He speaks about it. We can be church members without real faith. We just can't be real Christians. Amen? You must exercise your faith. Christianity is an applied faith. This is not theoretical for us. I've come uh, to be partial of saying it like this. We don't have to become disciples to be saved. We have to become disciples because we are saved. Amen. Amen? Amen? We can't help it. We're full of wonder. Awestruck wonder, yes? We can't help it. We must serve this great God. We must give ourselves away to this great God even as He has given Himself away to us as we read in Scripture. So, but you're not going to hear any of that today. Uh, Maybe a little bit more. Maybe a little bit more. God pushed me off. He pushed me into James chapter 1. When God does this to me, I don't ask Him why. I don't ask Him for an explanation. When He does it, He does it. And I just obey. So I'm here, standing here before you, just obeying the Lord. As you heard the text being read, um, you understand that God is commanding His people to consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. No doubt this will be helpful for almost all of us in this room because if you don't encounter a trial in 2012, someone you love will. And obviously God can see the, 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 the beginning to the end, the end from the beginning. He can see it. He knows what's going to come in your life tomorrow. He not only knows, it, he's, he's designed it for you. So God's going to tell us how to think biblically about the trials that we encounter and our loved ones encounter in 2012. I've preached this text once before. It is a precious memory to me. I, my sermon preparation, I pray and think and, and read and study. And, and uh, for, from Tuesday to, to Thursday... We take off on Monday, and then Friday and Saturday I write the sermon. This is always my, my routine. I remember when I was about to preach this text back in, I think it was March of 2009. You know, I usually get up, I go to my desk, and God gives me the introduction. But I couldn't get the introduction on this text. I could not get it. I couldn't find it. I sit there, and I sit there, and I prayed and I prayed and God wouldn't give it to me. So I, as I often do when I'm having trouble with the sermon, I get up and I go into where Karen is to bother her. But I walk into the bedroom and she's sitting there. She has a comfortable chair she likes to sit in and read. And tears are rolling down her cheeks. And when I see that look in her face, you know that look. Like God is so awesome. And I love Him so much, I think I might explode. You guys know that look, right? You know that feeling. And when I saw that, I knew that she, she was my introduction to this great text, James chapter 1, verse 2. She's my introduction. She knows what it means to walk through a trial. And those tears weren't about the, the radiation she was going to... Uh, take that next Monday. It wasn't about that. Those tears was because she was filled with wonder. All struck wonder. In the midst of her cancer, her God was sufficient. Her God was sufficient. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Karen and I, we began our relationship studying the attributes of God. Uh, It's informed the relationship, it's informed our married life, it's informed our ministry. Um, To to really think and and study deeply about who God is, it's a dangerous thing to do. It'll set you free. You You just don't have to live by the world's rules anymore. You don't have to live a small life anymore. You don't have to live a conservative Christianity anymore. You can be radical if you really know who He is. And you can walk through any trial. Amen? Any trial. Our God is God. He's bigger than anything that we will walk through. He is intoxicating in the right way. And He is addicting. To know Him this way and to relate to Him and spend time with Him. He not only enlarges our heart, He enlarges our life as we spend time with Him and as we know who He is. I'll just share the passage. She was, she was reading from, from A.W. Pink. and The tears were rolling down her cheek. Okay, Let me just share, share with you what she was reading. She was reading this paragraph. A.W. Pink writes, "...here is the sure resting place for the believer." Our lives are neither the product of blind fate, nor the result of capricious chance. But every detail of them was ordained from all eternity. Do any of you believe it? Then why are you living your Christianity small, if in fact you are? Why? You don't need to. You have license. We have license, brothers and sisters. We have license. We have license to live Hebrews 11. We have license. God expects His people to live Hebrews 11. If you haven't read it in a while, Then another good book, another good chapter to read as you go into 2012. Continuing with Pink. But every detail of them was ordained from all eternity and is now ordered by the living and reigning God. Do you believe your God reigns? Yes. Live like it in 2012. Blessing or trial, live like it. Live like it. Not a hair of our heads can be touched without permission. God is our license. God is our license to radically live faith and God is our license to have joy in the trial. God is our license. You know, Hebrews 11 is not about Abraham and Noah and and, uh, all the other guys, Sarah, Rahab. It's about God. It's about Him. God expects His people to be radical disciples. Karen, show me what she had written in the margin of of her book there, the pink book. Uh, She had written, All that comes to me comes through my Father's hands. Do you believe it? 2012 will be radically different for you if you do believe it, and you have not heretofore believed it. It will be true for all God's children in 2012. Well, I remember that that year we had the women's retreat and the emphasis was the attributes of God. Some of the women uh, didn't get it. I mean, they just didn't understand. Well, how is that practical? How are the attributes of God practical in my life? How can I put that to work in my marriage and in my finances or in my career? How can I do it? Well, we know, don't we? Those of us in here who are born again, we understand that it's eminently practical. Knowing who God is is eminently practical. It's the most practical thing you can know. Who he is it's practical it's necessary Karen knows how to answer those kinds of questions because they really come in handy on days like June 26 2008 and the doctor says you have cancer if you know who God is it makes all the difference in the world it makes all the difference in the world you know, this is not bad luck. You know, this is not some unfortunate occurrence. Maybe a hard one. You know, it has come through God's hands. And when the doctor says you have cancer, God is still good, God is still faithful. God is finishing the good work He's begun in you. God is conforming you to His Son. My beautiful wife knows this. It was my great pleasure to watch her walk through it. Knowing who God is is absolutely essential. We're going to be serious about James chapter 1. The psalmists were all over this. They knew that God was their Selah, S-E-L-A, not with leave the H off. I know there's another one. Selah, S-E-L-A. Who knows what that means in the Hebrew? We have PhDs in the room. Okay. You probably know what it means in Russian, though, right? (laughs) It means rock. These the psalmist couldn't get over this. He's my rock. Every day he's my rock. Blessing or trial. He's my rock. I love that great psalm. Psalm 18. David explained, Who is a rock except my God? Yes? Who is a rock except my God? I love that psalm. Psalm 71. The psalmist calls God a rock of habitation. Yes? That's where we stand when the trial comes. That's where we stand. That's why we can do. James chapter 1. Our God's a rock. Our God is a rock. I love how the message paraphrases that Psalm 71. Eugene Peterson says, My God is my vast granite fortress. Don't you love that? He is my vast granite fortress. I love that term. I just love it. So knowing who God is comes in handy when the doctor uses the C word. And I observed my wife very closely and firsthand, and God was her sailor. God was her rock. So when I come to a text like James chapter 1, and it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, she is my introduction. She will always be my introduction. Every time I preach this text, she will be my introduction introduction, and as I don't need to say this to most of you, but God was so transparently present in our lives as we walked through that trial. Beloved, God never doesn't come to His children in the trial. If the trial is here, oh, guess what? God's here too! Yes? Amen. yes. Have you read your Bibles? Do you know your Bibles? When the trial comes, God has come. God is coming to His people. Abraham met Jehovah-Jireh on the mountaintop. In the midst of that trial, Jehovah-Jireh came to him. There was a ram in the bush. There's always a ram in the bush. I think I said this to you last time I was here. Don't you love it? There's always a ram in the bush? There was a ram in the bush with Abraham. Shadrach and the boys met God in the fire. They met Him there. (laughs) They they had to walk into the fire to get more intimate with Jesus. Job walked through unspeakable loss, but God met him there and gave him a jaw-dropping revelation of Himself. Peter, how about the New Testament? In his denial, Jesus says, I have already prayed for you. (laughs) That you may not fall, God is interceding for us in the trial. I love that. Stephen, of course, met met Jesus up close and personal in the stoning. Had Jesus abandoned uh, Stephen? No. He opened up the windows of heaven and and, and Stephen saw him. Jesus came to him in the midst of the stoning. And we know that the Apostle Paul, God met him with his thorn in the flesh, beloved if there's a trial in your life and you call yourself a Christian, you have to be expecting the arrival of God. <laughs> God is coming to you. And God means to change you profoundly. He means to change you profoundly. This is not just some unfortunate incident. This is not just bad luck. God's coming to you. He hasn't just allowed it. He's designed it. Yes? Amen. Do we understand the Scriptures? And He means to change you through it. He means to change you through what He is doing. So this is why the Christian can count it all joy. In the midst of trial, God is coming. And if you read this text here, from verses 2 to 11, this is a road map so we can get to verse 12. Verses 2... Through 11 is a roadmap to verse 12. Let's look at verse 12 real quick. Blessed is the man who perseveres under the trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. God's going to get us to to verse 12 in these subsequent verses, verses 2 through 11. So we're going to spend a few minutes looking at that. I've read verse, 12, uh, verse 2 several times. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What do we deduce from the words here? What's this trial? What is it about? What does it say it is? What is the trial? What is it? Someone tell me. It's a test, right? A test of what? Your faith. You know, if you go over to 1 Peter, which I think is the next book, God says it's necessary. God says it's necessary that you might walk through trials. Did you know that God God believes it's necessary that you go through a trial? So why are we blown over? We must simply not read our Bibles and understand them. Because with just a superficial read, we understand God thinks it's necessary and needful for you and I to go through various trials. So why are we blown over when they come, beloved? Why? Why are we blown over when they come? Have we fallen prey to this health, wealth, and prosperity junk? If we understand our Bibles, we know the trial will come, and we know God comes too in the midst of the trial. Our trials will reveal what we really believe. Not just what we say in church. But what we really believe to be true about our great God. God Karen has always taught, ever since I've known her, she's always taught about a sovereign, good, loving, faithful God. Guess what? When the cancer comes, she still teaches that. And she believes it. I saw it every day. You know, you can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool your wife or your husband. Well sometimes you (laughs) can't. But not very long and it's not a good idea. (laughs) But I watched her. I had the privilege, the high privilege to watch her. In fact I told Jarrett one time I said I said, the only thing I hate about us being so far away during the cancer is you didn't get to watch your mom. Love God. You didn't get to watch it. You know, you didn't get to watch it. And I got to see it. And it was a great Blessing for me. Karen's faith passed the test. It was real. It wasn't built on health, wealth, word of faith, prosperity, stupidity. It was built on the God of the Bible. It was built on Selah. It was built on the rock. And when the storm came, you know, she didn't get blown away. She, she, just, she just fell on God. You know, she didn't fall away. She just fell on God what she did. This is what God is saying. You can do this. You can do James chapter 1 because I'm God. Because I'm the kind of God I am. I'm trustworthy. Even when you must cry, I'm trustworthy. The Christian knows even when we must cry, we know we will rejoice. Yes? In the end, we know we will rejoice. It's one of the things that I think we're going to see as we go through the text, the Greek word here translated consider in verse 2. It, one of the things it connotes is that we're to, it's to have authority over or to rule over. God says, Let your joy have authority over your trial. Are you practicing that, beloved? Let your joy have authority. Let it rule over your trial. It's one of the things God is saying to us here. How do we do it? We know how to do it. Look at God, right? Look at God. Stay on God. Made me think of Colossians chapter 3. God says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. We're to be heavenly minded through the trial. Heavenly minded through the trial. We're We're to think forward. Right? Think forward. You know, the unbeliever, all he can do is look at the trial. That's all he can do. All he can do is look at it. And wring his hands and moan and groan. That's all he can do. He has no other options. He's going to sit there and look at that trial. And he's going to feel sorry for himself. He's going to make everyone around him miserable. That's all he can do is look at the trial. The Christian looks through it. The Christian looks past it. Even when we cry, we know we will rejoice. Yes? I love it in 2012 when the trial comes. Fall on your sailor. How long you And get ready, not only to encounter him, but to rejoice with great joy. <clears throat> rejoice with great joy. You know, Piper called his own cancer. Anybody remember what he called it? He made it pretty public. He called it a gift. It's an odd thing to call cancer, I guess. But if you, if you read uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of that text, here, Peter's, uh, Eugene Peterson says, Consider it a sheer gift when tests and challenges come to you. God expects His children to think forward. What does the Bible say? These momentary light afflictions are what? A real drag, so you just have to put up with it. What does the Bible say? These momentary light afflictions are what? Producing what? An eternal weight of what? Someone tell me. Glory. Glory. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? You say yes. I'm sitting in church. I believe it. The question is, will you live it? I love it. It's your evangelism. It's your evangelism. It's part of your evangelism. When the trial comes... Everyone around you needs to watch you follow God. You need to understand He's the most real person in your life. And that He's sufficient. He is. He is sufficient. We need to train ourselves to think like this. I know probably many of you. If most of you know that this is how God expects you to think. He expects you to think rightly about him, and he expects you to think biblically about the trial that he has designed for you. Okay. The doctor says you have cancer. And you have all the normal feelings that a human every the unregenerate man feels. You have all the normal the the normal feelings and reactions. Of course we do. We feel it in our flesh. But God says, my kids have an abnormal reaction. Not just a normal one, but an abnormal one. Yes, at first the flesh is afraid and we begin to worry and be anxious. But then we fall on our sailor. We fall on our sailor. The abnormal reaction. God expects it. God expects you to have an abnormal reaction when the trial comes. We are peculiar people, yes? We're to act in a peculiar way when the trial comes. <laughs> We're to act differently than the world. When the bad news comes, I know we like to whine and worry. But God says, my children do not walk according to the flesh. They walk according to the Spirit. So, when the trial comes in 2012, beloved, what is, we need to ask these questions. What is God doing? What is God doing? Not not why God has this happened to me. What are you doing, God? What are you doing? How will God reveal Himself to me in this? What will He teach me in this? How will He change me in this? How does God mean to bless me in this? How does He mean to reward me in this? How will He respond? How, how will my response to this trial enhance not only my life but my eternity? And how will those around me interpret the greatness of God by how I walk through this God ordained trial? When the trial comes, we need to immediately think God encounter. That's what we need to think. God encounter. Immediately. You have cancer. God encounter. Your child was run over. God encounter. You've lost everything in the financial crash. God encountered. Love, this is how we're to think. This is how we are to think as Bible believing Christians. God says, Blessed is the man who perseveres in the trial. Let me ask you, Christian friend, are you reluctant to be blessed? <laughs> we act like we're reluctant to be blessed. God says, blessed is the man who perseveres under the trial. So when the trial comes, are you reluctant to be blessed? It's a very simple question. Are you hesitant to know Jesus Christ more intimately? Are you you hesitant to be more conformed into His image? (coughs) These are the things God, God is doing in His precious child's life. I love how David... Uh, Paulson says it about the Christian. He says, we are 100% certain to suffer and it is 100% sure that God will meet us there. I love that. I do love that. So I want to exhort you and encourage you to think biblically about your trials. God hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't forsaken you. He is coming to you. He is coming to you. Verses 5-8 through eight here. If you lack wisdom, ask God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting, for one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. God says, if you lack wisdom about what I'm doing in your life, ask me. Ask me. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. God says, ask me. Now, God's not going to explain anything to you. We know when He came to Job, He didn't what? Explain anything. He didn't answer any of Job's questions. God just revealed Himself to Job. God does not explain Himself to His creatures. Not even His, his, his redeemed. God never gives an account of Himself to any man. But He will give you wisdom. He's He's happy. To give you the wisdom to walk through it. Not the explanation, but the wisdom. To walk through it. So, what does the Bible say over and over and over again about wisdom? How do we get wisdom? Where does wisdom start? Fear the, Lord. the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, is it, it starts. Wisdom starts there. Proverbs 9, 10 says it beautifully, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So we're back with Karen sitting in that chair crying. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In the cancer. Or whatever your trial is. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It's not an explanation, it is understanding. Don't you love the Bible? Don't you love the Word of God? I love it. I know you do too. I know you do too. Karen didn't ask for nor did she expect an accounting from God. She just fell on God. And God was sufficient, more than sufficient for her. Have you ever surveyed the Bible regarding the benefits of fearing the Lord? I don't know if you've ever done this. It's an astonishing thing. To have the wisdom of God. The fear of the Lord. Listen to all that God says. Not all, but some. We are the friends of God. Psalm 25. We are cared for by God. Psalm 33. You see how this is understanding? You see how it's understanding when the cancer comes? You see how it's understanding? Because we stay on God. We don't fixate on the trial. We fixate on the One who fills our hearts with wonder. All struck Wonder. We are protected and delivered by God. We have no want, Psalm 34. We are recipients of God's love and compassion, Psalm 103. The Lord takes pleasure in us, Psalm 147. We drink of the life of God, Proverbs 14 17. These are all the things that are applicable to one who fears the Lord. Proverbs 19.23, we are satisfied. Don't you love that? We are satisfied. Whatever comes, we are satisfied. Are you satisfied? Beloved, if you're not satisfied, you're off God. I don't care what your situation is. Right now, I don't don't know what it's going to be in 2012. don't know what mine's going to be, but you're not, if you're not satisfied, you're not on God. You don't have the knowledge of the Holy One, ruling and reigning in your heart. My wife had cancer. And her tears that Friday morning back in March 2009, it wasn't about the cancer. <laughs> it was about her God. Don't you love it? It was about her perfect satisfaction in the Lord. This kind of wisdom that God is talking about here, you can't get it from a psychologist. You can't get it from a psychiatrist. You can't get it from a therapist. You can't get it from your horoscope. And you can't get it from a psychic hotline. You have to come to the Word of God. It's the only place that God dispenses this kind of wisdom. MacArthur says, John MacArthur says, that God has put us in the trial to elevate our dependence upon Him. Isn't that beautiful? I've often heard it said, I don't know who said it originally, that, that in the trial God is breaking our adulteries and our addictions. He is destroying our adulteries and our addictions. I like that. I think that's, uh, that's right on target. God means for you to come to Him and ask Him for the wisdom you need to work through the trial. And look what the promise is here. He generously gives without reproach. Don't you love that? He just gives. You know, as one theologian said, God gives and He gives and He gives and He gives. He never stops giving. He's the omnipotent giver. He gives open-handedly, big-heartedly, liberally, without reproach. He doesn't rebuke us. He doesn't scold us and reprimand us and reproach us. He gives He doesn't say, well, you should know that by now, Higgins. What are you bothering me with that for? I told you I'd get back at you. (laughs) He lovingly gives. Just gives. (laughs) This is how God is. He never stops. He never stops giving. Beloved, if you don't have the, the wisdom to navigate your trial. Fall on your face. Fall on your face and cry out to God. He gives without reproach. Did you notice the that this the metaphor here, the, the illustration here is the is the ocean. You must have faith. You can't be one of these guys that you know is here one day and there the next day. You gotta have faith. You know, Karen and I go to the sea in the summertime. We we're about forty five minutes from the Mediterranean, we go to the sea, we love to sit on the beach and the waves we just sit there and listen to the waves break. On our day off, we just love doing that. But you know, the waves... I've noticed that it's just always the same water all day. The, the water never goes anywhere. It's just the same water, and it's breaking all day on, on the beach. It never makes any progress. It's like the double-minded man that James is talking about here. He never makes any progress. He never makes any progress. He wavers. He's uncertain. He, he dithers. You remember what John Bunyan called the double minded man in Pilgrim's Progress? Anybody remember? <laughs> Mr. Facing Both Ways. God says, Ask me with faith. Ask me with faith. I'll give you what you need. Verses 9 through 11. You might initially think, Well, why is this in here? How does this fit the context? It says, Brother, uh, but let the brother of humble means. Humble circumstance, glory in his high position. What's he saying? If you're poor, what? Thank forward, what? I'm a co-heir. Yes, thank forward. Yes, poverty can be a, a, a great trial. It can be a trial, no question about it. God says, thank forward. Right? That's what he's talking about here. Your high position, your co-heir. Thank forward. Then he talks about the rich man. We understand it. That. that No doubt that wealth, great wealth, can be a burden. It can be a source of pride and self-sufficiency. It can anesthetize the the one who is wealthy to uh, what's really important in life. God says to the rich man, glory in your humiliation. He says you're dust in the wind. You're, You're like grass. Glory in that. Think forward. Don't get caught up in your temporal, your temporal... Wealth. Poor man, be heavenly minded, be a good steward of your poverty. Rich man, be heavenly minded, be a good steward of your wealth. So we have arrived at verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You want the, the Jim Albright paraphrase? Happy is the man who stays on God in the storm. Happy is the man who stays on God in the storm. Happy is the man who falls on his sailor. Happy is the man who, who, who lives within that vast granite fortress. Happy is the man who lives by the knowledge of the Holy One. Happy is the man. For His faith has been shown to be genuine. It has been approved. I was thinking this morning, as I was going over the text, I was thinking this morning, you guys, go read Revelation. You know all those overcoming verses in Revelation, right? All these awesome things God says about those who will overcome. Yes? Those who will overcome. And I was just astonished when I read this morning Revelation 3.21. I'll read it to you really quickly. Revelation 3.21. Listen to what it says. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. <laughs> you know, if I didn't read that in the Bible, I would think, well, there's that's no way that would be in the Bible. There it is. As I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. Go read all the overcoming verses in Revelation, blessed is the man. Yes, blessed is the man. For a billion eternities, blessed is the man who perseveres in the trial. Samuel Rutherford was a 17th century Scottish minister. He was jailed for preaching the Gospel. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Rutherford writes this, and I'm finished. If God had told me some time ago that, I was about to, that He was about to make me as happy as I could be in this world, and then He told me that He should begin by crippling me in all my limbs and removing me from all my usual sources of enjoyment, I should have thought it a very strange mode of accomplishing His purpose. And yet, how is His wisdom manifest even in this exclamation point? He continues... For if you should see a man shut up in a closed room idolizing a set of lamps and rejoicing in their light and you wish to make him truly happy, what would you do? You would begin by blowing out all his lamps and throwing open the shutters and letting in the light of heaven, yes? I love this analogy. Piper adds, Oh, how I pray when God in His mercy begins to blow out my lamps, I will not curse the wind. I will not curse the wind the wind. I like how Larry Crabb says it. He said, shattered dreams are a mercy from God. He's going to get you off that small dream. He's going to get you on him. (laughs) I love that. I think that's beautiful. So beloved, in 2012 when the trial comes, don't curse the wind. When your lamp is blown out, don't curse the trial. God says, what does God say? Someone tell me from the text. God says... Nobody knows. God says what? Count it joy. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. And why can we do that? Why can we do it? Because He's coming to us. He's coming to us. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. But once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. I want to invite you to join in the congregation for just a concert. A, a, as you guys like to call it here, I like that term. I may need to incorporate this term at the International Church of Milan, A time of prayer. So let's, let's do that now. Let's do that now.